0: CHAPTER Eleven OF THE JUNIOR CLASSICS, VOLUME 7, STORIES OF COURAGE AND HEROISM. THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. THE JUNIOR CLASSICS, VOLUME 7, STORIES OF COURAGE AND HEROISM, BY WILLIAM PATTON. THE STORY OF JOAN OF ARC, THE MAID WHO SAVED FRANCE, BY ANONYMOUS Over five hundred years ago, the children of Domremy, a little village on the border of France, used to dance and sing beneath a beautiful beech tree. They called it the Fairy Tree. Among those children was one named Jeanne, the daughter of an honest farmer, Jacques d'Arc, Jeanne sang more than she danced, and though she carried garlands like the other boys and girls, and hung them on the boughs of the fairies' tree, she liked better to take the flowers into the parish church and lay them on the altars of St. Margaret and St. Catherine. She was brought up by her parents, as she told the judges at her trial, to be industrious, to sew and spin. She did not fear to match herself at spinning and sewing, she said, against any woman in Rouen. When very young, she sometimes went to the fields to watch the cattle. As she grew older, she worked in the house. She did not any longer watch sheep and cattle. But the times were dangerous, and when there was an alarm of soldiers or robbers in the neighborhood, she sometimes helped. To drive the flock into a fortified island or peninsula for which her father was responsible in the river near her home. She learned her creed, she said, from her mother. Twenty years after her death, her neighbors, who remembered her, described her as she was when a child. Jean Morin said that she was a good industrious girl, but that she would often be praying in church when her father and mother did not know it. Jean Vatterin, when he was a boy, had seen Joan in the fields, and when they were all playing together, she would go apart and pray to God, as he thought, and he and the others used to laugh at her. When she heard the church bell ring, she would kneel down in the fields. All those who had seen Joan told the same tale. She was always kind, simple, Industrious, pious, and yet merry and fond of playing with the others. In Joan's childhood, France was under a mad king, Charles the Sixth, and was torn to pieces by two factions, the party of Burgundy and the party of Armagnac. The English took advantage of these disputes and overran the land. The two parties of Burgundy and Armagnac, divided town from town and village from village it was as in the days of the douglas wars in scotland when the very children took sides for queen mary and king james and fought each other in the streets domremy was for the armagnacs that is against the english and for the dauphin the son of the mad charles the sixth but at maxey a village near domremy the people were all for Burgundy and the English. The boys of Domremy would go out and fight the Maxey boys with fists and sticks and stones. Joan did not remember having taken part in these battles, but she had often seen her brothers and the Domremy boys come home all bruised and bleeding when Joan was between twelve and thirteen fourteen twenty four so she swore a voice came to her from God for her guidance. But when first it came, she was in great fear. And it came, that voice, about noonday in the summer season, she being in her father's garden. Joan had not fasted the day before that, but was fasting when the voice came. The voices at first only told her to be a good girl, and go to church the voice later told her of the great sorrow there was in france and that one day she must go into france and help the country she had visions with the voices visions first of saint michael and then of saint catherine and saint margaret i saw them with my bodily eyes as i see you she said to her judges and when they departed from me I wept, and well I wished that they had taken me with them." What are we to think about these visions and these voices which were with Joan to her death? In 1428 only a very few small towns in the east still held out for the Dauphin, and these were surrounded on every side by enemies. Meanwhile the voices came more frequently, urging Joan to go into France and help her country. She asked how she, a girl, who could not ride or use sword and lance, could be of any help. At the same time, she was encouraged by one of the vague old prophecies which were common in France. A legend ran that France was to be saved by a maiden from the oak wood, and there was an oak wood, le bois chenu, near d'Ambremis. Some such prophecy had an influence on Joan and probably helped people to believe in her. The voices often commanded her to go to Vaucouleurs, a neighbouring town which was loyal, and there meet Robert de Baudricourt, who was captain of the French garrison. Now Robert de Baudricourt, was a gallant soldier, but a plain practical man, very careful of his own interest, and cunning enough to hold his own among his many enemies, English, Burgundian, and Lorrainers. Joan had a cousin, who was married to one durand la at Burey-en-Vaux, a village near Vaucouleurs. This cousin invited Joan to visit her for a week. At the end of that time, she spoke to her cousin's husband. There was an old saying, as we saw, that France would be rescued by a maid, and she, as she told Lassoy, was that maid. Lassoy listened, and whatever he may have thought of her chances, he led her to Robert de Baudricourt. Joan came in her simple red dress and walked straight up to the captain. She told him that the Dauphin must keep quiet and risk no battle, for before the middle of Lent next year, 1423, God would send him help. She added that the kingdom belonged not to the Dauphin, but to her master, who willed that the Dauphin should be crowned, and she herself would lead him to Rome, to be anointed with the holy oil and who is your master said robert the king of heaven robert very naturally thought that joan was crazed and shrugged his shoulders he bluntly told l'assois to box her ears and take her back to her father so she had to go home but here new troubles awaited her the enemy came down on domremy and burned it Joan and her family fled to Neufchateau, where they stayed for a few days. When Joan looked from her father's garden to the church, she saw nothing but a heap of smoking ruins. These things only made her feel more deeply the sorrows of her country. The time was drawing near when she had prophesied that the Dauphin was to receive help from heaven, namely in the Lent of 1429. On that year, the season was held more than commonly sacred, for Good Friday and the Annunciation fell on the same day. So early in January 1429, Joan turned her back on Domremy, which she was never to see again. Her cousin Lassois came and asked leave for Joan to visit him again. So she said good-bye to her father and mother, and to her friends. She went to her cousin's house at Bure, and there she stayed for six weeks, hearing bad news on the siege of Orléans by the English. A squire named Jean de nuit met Joan one day. "'Well, my lass,' said he, "'is our king to be driven from France, and are we all to become English?' I have come here, said Joan, to bid Robert de Baudricourt lead me to the king, but he will not listen to me. And yet to the king I must go, even if I walk my legs down to the knees, for none in all the world, king, nor duke, nor the king of Scotland's daughter, can save France, but myself only. Certainly I would rather stay and spin with my poor mother, for to fight is not my calling but I must go, and I must fight, for so my lord will have it. And who is your lord? said Jean de nouillonpont He is God, said the maiden. On February 12th, the story goes, she went to Robert de Baudricourt. You delay too long, she said. On this very day at Orléans, the gentle Dauphin has lost a battle. Now the people of Vaucouleurs brought clothes for Joan to wear on her journey to the Dauphin. They were such clothes as men wear, doublet, hose, surcoat, boots, and spurs, and Robert de Baudricourt gave Joan a sword. Her reason was that she would have to be living alone among men-at-arms for a ten days journey, and she thought it was more modest to wear armour like the rest. Also, her favorite saint, St. Margaret, had done this once when in danger. Besides, in all the romances of chivalry, we find fair maidens fighting in arms like men, or traveling dressed as pages. On February twenty-third, 1429, the gate of the little castle of Vaucouleurs, the Gate of France, which is still standing, was thrown open seven travellers rode out among them two squires jean de noyonpont and bertrand de Poulanger, with their attendants and joan the maid go and let what will come of it come said robert de baudricourt he did not expect much to come of it it was a long journey they were eleven days on the road and a dangerous but joan laughed at danger God will clear my path to the king, for to this end I was born. Often they rode by night, stopping at monasteries when they could. Sometimes they slept out under the sky. Though she was young and beautiful, these two gentlemen never dreamed of paying their court to her and making love as they do in romances, for they regarded her as if she had been an angel. They were in awe of her, they said long afterward, and all the knights who had seen her said the same. From Fia Bois, Joan made some clerk write to the king that she was coming to help him, and that she would know him among all his men. Probably it was here that she wrote to beg her parents' pardon, and they forgave her, she says. Meanwhile, News reached the people then besieged in Orléans that a marvellous maiden was riding to their rescue. On March the 6th, Joan arrived in Chinon, where for two or three days the king's advisers would not let him see her. At last they yielded, and she went straight up to him, and when he denied that he was the king, she told him that she knew well who he was. There is the king, said charles pointing to a richly dressed noble no fair sire you are he still it was not easy to believe joan stayed at chinon in the house of a noble lady the young Duke d'alencon was on her side from the first great people came to see her and question her but when she was alone she wept and prayed Joan was weary of being asked questions. One day she went to Charles and said, Gentle Dauphin, why do you delay to believe me? I tell you that God has taken pity on you and your people at the prayer of St. Louis and St. Charlemagne, and I will tell you by your leave something which will show you that you should believe me. Then she told him secretly something which, as he said, none could know but God and himself. But the king to whom Joan brought this wonderful message, the king whom she loved so loyally and for whom she died, spoiled all her plans. He, with his political advisers, prevented her from driving the English quite out of France. These favourites were lazy, comfortable, cowardly, disbelieving. In their hearts they hated the maid, who put them to so much trouble. Charles, to tell the truth, never really believed in her. He never quite trusted her, he never led a charge by her side, and in the end he shamefully deserted her and left the maid to her doom. Weeks had passed, and Joan had never yet seen a blow struck in war. She used to exercise herself in horsemanship and nightly sports of tilting, and it is wonderful that a peasant girl became at once one of the best riders among the chivalry of France. The young duc d'Alencon and his wife were her friends from the first, when the politicians and advisers were against her. It was now determined that Joan should be taken to Poitiers and examined before all the learned men, bishops, doctors and higher clergy who still were on the side of france there was good reason for this delay it was plain to all friends and foes that the wonderful maid was not like other men and women with her voices her visions her prophecies and her powers all agreed that she had some strange help given to her but who gave it this aid must come people thought then either from heaven or hell either from god and his saints or from the devil and his angels now if any doubt could be thrown on the source whence joan's aid came the english might argue as of course they did that she was a witch and a heretic if she was a heretic and a witch then her king was involved in her wickedness and so he might be legally shut out from his kingdom. It was necessary, therefore, that Joan should be examined by learned men. They must find out whether she had always been good and a true believer, and whether her voices always agreed in everything with the teachings of the Church. Otherwise, her angels must be devils in disguise. During three long weeks, the learned men asked her questions. they said it was wonderful how wisely this girl, who did not know A from B, replied to their puzzling inquiries. She told the story of her visions of the command laid upon her to rescue Orleans at last, after examining witnesses from Domremy and the Queen of Sicily and other great ladies to whom Joan was entrusted. The clergy found nothing in her but goodness, humility, frank maidenhood, piety, honesty, and simplicity. As for her wearing a man's dress, the archbishop of Ambrin said to the king, it is more becoming to do these things in man's clothes, since they have to be done amongst men. The king therefore made up his mind at last. Jean and Pierre, Joan's brothers were to ride with her to Orleans. Her old friends, her first friends, Jean de Nuompon and Bertrand de Boulangis, had never left her. She was given a squire, a page, and a chaplain. The king gave Joan armour and horses, and offered her a sword. But her voices told her that behind the altar of St. Catherine de Fierbois, where she heard mass on her way to Chinon, there was an old sword, with five crosses on the blade, buried in the earth. That sword she was to wear. A man whom Joan did not know and had never seen was sent from Tours and found the sword in the place which she described. The sword was cleaned of rust, and the king gave her two sheaths, one of velvet one of cloth of gold but joan had a leather sheath made for use in war she also commanded a banner to be made with the lilies of france on a white field when once it was settled that she was to lead an army to relieve orleans she showed her faith by writing a letter addressed to the king of england bedford the regent and the english generals at orleans if they did not yield to the maid and the king, she will come on them to their sorrow. Duke of Bedford, the maid prays and entreats you not to work your own destruction. We may imagine how the English laughed and swore when they received this letter. They threw the heralds of the maid into prison and threatened to burn them as heretics. From the very first the English promised to burn Joan as a witch and a heretic. At last the men-at-arms who were to accompany Joan were ready. She was armed in white armor, but unhelmeted, a little axe in her hand, riding a great black charger. She turned to the church and said, in her girlish voice, You priests and churchmen, make prayers and processions to God. Then she cried, Forward, forward, and on she rode at their head, a page carrying her banner. And so Joan went to war. She led, she says, ten or twelve thousand soldiers. This army was to defend a great convoy of provisions of which the people of Orleans stood in sore need. The people were not starving, but food came in slowly and in small quantities. The French general-in-chief was the famous Dunois. On the English side was the brave Talbot, who fought under arms for sixty years and died fighting when he was over eighty. Looking down the river Loire, Orléans lies on your right hand. It had strong walls, towers on the wall, and a bridge of many arches crossing to the left side of the river. At the further end of this bridge were a fort and rampart called Les Tourelles, and this fort had already been taken by the English, so that no French army could cross the bridge to help Orléans. The rampart and the fort of Les Tourelles were guarded by another strong work called Les Augustins. All round the outside of the town on the right bank, the English had built strong redoubts, which they called Bastille. But on the east, above the town, and on the Orléans bank of the Loire, the English had only one Bastille, Saint-Loup. Now, as Joan's army mustered at Blois, south of Orléans, further down the river, she might march on the left side of the river, cross it by boats above Orléans, and enter the town where the English were weakest, and had only one fort, Saint-Loup or she might march up the right bank and attack the English where they were strongest and had many Bastille. The voices bade the maid act on the boldest plan and enter Orléans, where the English were strongest, on the right bank of the river. The English would not move, said the voices. She was certain that they would not even sally out against her. But Dunois in Orléans, and the generals with the maid thought this plan very perilous. They therefore deceived her, caused her to think that Orléans was on the left bank of the Loire, and led her thither. When she arrived, she saw that they had not played her fair, that the river lay between her and the town, and the strongest force of the enemy. This girl of seventeen saw that, if a large convoy of provisions was to be thrown into a besieged town, the worst way was to try to ferry the supplies across a river under the enemy's fire. But Dunois and the other generals had brought her to this pass, and the maid was sore ill-pleased. The wind was blowing in her teeth. Boats could not cross with the troops and provisions. There she sat her horse, and chafed Till Dunois came out and crossed the Loire to meet her. This is what he says about Joan and her conduct. I did not think, and the other generals did not think, that the men at arms with the maid were a strong enough force to bring the provisions into the town. Above all, it was difficult to get boats and ferry over the supplies, for both wind and stream were dead against us. Then Joan spoke to me thus. Are you the general? That am I, and glad of your coming. Is it you who gave counsel that I should come hither by that bank of the stream and not go straight where Talbot and the English are? I myself, and others wiser than I, gave that advice, and we think it the better way and the surer. In God's name, the counsel of our God is wiser and surer than yours. You thought to deceive me. And you have deceived yourselves, for I bring you a better rescue than ever shall come to soldier or city, that is, the help of the King of Heaven. Then instantly, and as it were in one moment, the wind changed that had been dead against us, and had hindered the boats from carrying the provisions into Orleans, and the sails filled. Dunois now wished Joan to cross by boat and enter the town. But her army could not cross, so the army returned to Blois to cross by the bridge there and come upon the Orleans bank, as Joan had intended from the first. Then Joan crossed in the boat, holding in her hand the lily standard. She and La Hire and Dunois rowed into Orleans, where the people crowded round her, blessing her and trying to kiss her hand. So they led her with great joy to the reynard gate and the house of jacques boucher treasurer of the duke of orléans and there was she gladly received next day without leave from joan la hire led a sally against the english fought bravely but failed and joan wished once more to bid the english go in peace the english of course did not obey her summons and it is said that they answered with wicked words, which made her weep. For she wept readily and blushed when she was moved. In her anger, she went to a rampart and, crying aloud, bade the English begone. But they repeated their insults and threatened yet again to burn her. Next day, Dunois went off to bring the troops from Blois, and Joan rode round and inspected the English position they made no attempt to take her on may fourth the army returned from blois joan rode out to meet them priests marched in procession singing hymns but the english never stirred they were expecting fresh troops under fastolf for some reason probably because they did not wish her to run risk they did not tell joan when the next fight began she had just lay down to sleep when she leaped up with the noise, wakening her squire, my voices tell me, she said, that I must go against the English, but whether to their forts or against Fastolf, I know not. In a moment, she was in the street. The page handed to her the lily flag from the upper window. Followed by her squire, Dolon, she galloped to the Burgundy gate. They met wounded men never do i see french blood but my hair stands up on my head said joan she rode out of the gate to the english fort of saint-loup which the orleans men were attacking joan leaped into the fosse under fire holding her banner and cheering on her men saint-loup was taken by the french in spite of a gallant defense the French generals now conceived a plan to make a feint or a sham attack on the English forts where they were strongest, on the Orléans side of the river. The English on the left side would cross to help their countrymen, and then the French would take the forts beyond the bridge. Thus they would have a free path across the river, and would easily get supplies and tire out the English. They only told Joan of the first part of their plan, but she saw that they were deceiving her. When the plan was explained, she agreed to it. Her one wish was to strike swiftly and strongly. The French attacked the English fort of Les Augustins, beyond the river, but suddenly they fled to their bridge of boats, while the English sallied out, yelling their insults at Joan. She turned gathered a few men and charged the english ran before her like sheep she planted her banner again in the ditch the french hurried back to her a great englishman who guarded the breach was shot two french knights leaped in the others followed and the english took refuge in the redoubt of les tourelles their strong fort at the bridge head the maid returned to orleans and though it was a friday and she always fasted on fridays she was so weary that she ate some supper a bit of bread her page reports was all that she usually ate now the generals sent to joan and said that enough had been done they had food and could wait for another army from the king you have been with your council she said I have been with mine. The wisdom of God is greater than yours. Rise early tomorrow, do better than your best, keep close by me, for tomorrow have I much to do, and more than ever yet I did. And tomorrow shall my blood flow from a wound above my breast. Joan had already said at Chinon that she would be wounded at Orleans the generals did not wish to attack the bridge tower but joan paid them no attention they were glad enough to follow lest she took the fort without them about half past six in the morning the fight began the french and scottish leaped into the fosse they set ladders against the walls they reached the battlements and were struck down by english swords and axes Cannonballs and great stones and arrows rained on them. Fight on, cried the maid. The place is ours. At one o'clock she set a ladder against the wall with her own hands, but was deeply wounded by an arrow which pierced clean through between neck and shoulder. Joan wept, but seizing the arrow with her own hands, she dragged it out. Yet, says Dunois, she did not withdraw from the battle, nor took any medicine for the wound, and the onslaught lasted from morning till eight at night, so that there was no hope of victory. I desired that the army should go back to the town, but the maid came to me and bade me wait a little longer. Next she mounted her horse and rode into a vineyard, and there prayed for the space of seven minutes or eight. Then she returned, took her banner, and stood on the brink of the fosse. The English trembled when they saw her, but our men returned to the charge and met with no resistance. The English fled or were slain, and we returned gladly into Orleans. The people of Orleans had a great share in this victory. Seeing the English hard pressed, they laid long beams across the broken arches of the bridge and charged by this perilous way. The triumph was even more that of the citizens than of the army. Next day, the English drew up their men in line of battle. The French went out to meet them, and would have begun the attack. Joan said that God would not have them fight. If the English attack, we shall defeat them. We are to let them go in peace if they will. Mass was then said before the French army. When the rite was done, Joan asked, Do they face us, or have they turned their backs? It was the English backs that the French saw that day. Talbot's men were in full retreat on Meun. From that hour, May 8th is kept a holiday at Orléans in honor of Joan the maiden. Never was there such a deliverance. In a week, the maid had driven a strong army full of courage and well led out of forts like les tourelles the duc d'alencon visited it and said that with a few men at arms he would have felt certain of holding it for a week against any strength however great but joan not only gave the french her spirit her extraordinary courage in leading a new charge after so terrible a wound six inches deep says d'alencon made the english think that they were fighting a force not of this world end of the story of joan of arc the maid who saved france by anonymous